Hello, and welcome to Just Another Real Estate Podcast, where we'll speak with Arizona's most successful real estate professionals to better understand their business, current market conditions, team and business building strategies, successes, and challenges. This podcast is brought to you by Dwell Inspect Arizona with your host, Sean Garvey. Welcome to another (laughs) episode of Just Another Real Estate Podcast. Um, Today's guest today is Paul Nicoletti. Um, Paul, we've had the pleasure of working with you for a long time, um, getting to know you yep. throughout the years. Um, mm-hmm. Really enjoy uh, working with you. It's always it's always really a fun time when when you pop up on the schedule, and, and then we've had <laughs> lots of good conversations outside of the schedule. Um, you're currently with um, the real estate brokerage Retsy, um, with a tagline behind that, and you're partnered with Forbes Global Properties as well. Um, Correct. Tell me what that means. What's uh so Forbes Global Properties isn't a real estate brokerage. Um, what they do is they partner with a single brokerage through different regions of the country and globally. Um, we're the only one in the Phoenix, Arizona, Scottsdale, PV area. Um, you know, California has quite a few um, associated brokerages. But what it does is it allows us to um, push or advertise um, higher value or high net worth listings to clients globally through the Forbes Global Property websites. Um, that way, you know, if it meets certain criteria, they push it out to their subscribers. So we just get more eyes on properties for potential, you know, listings that we have. Exposure. So that yep. means if if your property meets XYZ, um, mm-hmm. it's a huge advantage to to send it out to that. Um, yep market that can that has the resources to acquire those xyz properties yeah and what's what's been nice recently have a lot of our listings uh that nathan nathan and i have had have met those guidelines so we're getting some you know exponential exposure globally as rather than just throwing it on throwing it on the mls and then trying to do local marketing through those avenues such as you know tiktok instagram facebook you know this goes out to a more broader base that potentially people that i'm just not friends with yeah. On a normal basis. <laughs> well, it opens up to, you know, um, maybe they weren't looking at PV, Scottsdale, Phoenix as a potential um, mm-hmm. avenue of where they want to live next or acquire another house. But now they see this amazing house that you have listed um, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, wherever, Virginia, New York or something like that. And it opens their eye up to a possibility of this somewhere where they want to land. Yeah. Um, and it also, it also opens up a, an additional avenue for, um, you know, I partner with, with Rebuild the Block, Nathan at Rebuild the Block, who builds mm-hmm. spec and custom homes, but it also brings in another avenue of of leads for potential builds for him, which has been nice. Oh yeah, that makes sense. That makes yep. sense. So if, so if a particular property that we have that we built on spec doesn't fit a potential client, you know, they can inquire about how we do the build process and, you know, that always is a plus. Yeah, that makes so. a ton of sense. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, they may like this, but just want something different, and and then or different location. Mm-hmm. Um, that oh yeah, different location makes sense too. And mm-hmm. and Nathan, you mentioned is is your partner uh, in this business as well. Yep, he's my real estate partner, and he's also the owner of Rebuild the Block. So he does a lot of uh, custom and spec homes in the Arcadia Scottsdale PV area. Yeah, and you told me before we started, but let's go over. But what mm-hmm. is uh you have a team name that you guys work together in the real estate business? Just Nate and Paul. Uh, we wanted to keep it simple and alphabetical. There's no reason he's number one and I'm second. We just kind of went alphabetical and it seemed <laughs> real easy to us. We wanted to, we wanted to make it uh, less of a headache to think of a special name and just go with something easy. 
just a couple of guys hanging out selling yeah. real estate. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Building homes and selling real estate. I love the re- the simplicity of that. And then you said <laughs> your website is? NatanPaul.com. It's amazing that wasn't taken. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Uh, so let's go back. Um, let's go back in time a little bit. Uh, okay. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Um, so born and raised Phoenician. Yeah. Um, my parents moved here from Buffalo, New York in 1976. I was born in 79. Um, I went to St. Mary's High School in downtown Phoenix and then got my degree at ASU. I did go to college in Colorado for two years where I played baseball, but ended up coming back here and getting my degree um, in what was it? Global marketing, business management and accounting. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like one uh, at ASU where, where you just start working out of there and they're like, uh, you just take this degree. Here you go. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of like, let's, let's pick something and go here. Yeah. I think mine is in uh, business marketing as well. Yeah. At least it's not a psychology or what are they? uh, Mass communications degree. We can go with that one. (laughs) Yeah. No offense meant to anybody else. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Correct. Um, And so you graduated with uh, this degree at ASU, and what was the next step? What what took you after that? So um, to be perfectly honest, uh, so I graduated in 2003, 2002 uh-huh. or 2003, but I had gotten a job with Penske Automotive in 2000. And every job that I went and applied for was paying me considerably less than I was already making working with Penske Automotive. Now, I wasn't in car sales. I was doing fixed operations. So I kind of didn't do anything with the degree, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I moved up at Penske. I spent 15 years there. Um, so from 2000 to 2015, essentially, um, you know, I worked at Acura, Lexus, Mercedes-Benz, Maybach, Sprinter van. What are those little cars? Smart cars, I think they're called. Little yep. smart car. That was part of, their, part of their umbrella. So I spent 15 years doing that. And then... Um, It just got to a point where I just didn't think I was, there was any more upward movement for me at that time. So I did what everybody does at that time, started to bitch all my friends about how much I hated my job. Sure. Um, Until, you know, one of my buddies who did construction and home building at the time was like, dude, I'm tired of hearing about you complain about your job. Come work for me and manage my acquisition side. So, and that's essentially how I got into real estate. Wow. So there was Um, no... There was no, I like fancy homes. Um, I like walking nice homes. I like interior design. It was more of just a, I hated my current job. And then I saw a new opportunity to, to do something else. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, that's that's a great time and a great opportunity to, to shift gears um, yep. and, and aid and get into the construction industry. But that 15 years at Penske explains a lot because if anybody knows Paul, he's got a passion and love for cars. <laughs> yep, anything, anything fast that, that has a motor. Anything that's fast that has a motor, I feel like 80% of your Instagram is your truck either braking or jumping or jumping yep. then braking. <laughs> you wouldn't be wrong. You wouldn't be wrong. Um, so you make this shift into acquisition for a construction company. Um, mm-hmm. What does that look like? Um, so it's the down and dirty work. Um, door knock. I mean, door knocking. Everybody talks yeah. about door knocking. I did that. I hated it. I was really good at it. Um, and I, in, in turn, what do they call it? An ISA 
sales call person. I just made phone calls all day with that stupid dialer that LexisNexis just picked up numbers. Really? Um, I also wrote 20 handwritten notes a day. So I would go into Monsoon, pick out 20 addresses of homes that I think had potential to sell to us. And I would write them a handwritten note. And this was before you could automate the handwritten machines that they have now. Well, they might have had those, but we didn't have one. So from, I think, 2016 to 2017, I think we acquired anywhere between, I think, 25 to 30 properties in Arcadia area. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, back when you could get a half acre for for $750,000 in in Arcadia proper. So I did a lot of those deals. And that's where I learned a lot about construction, Um, like the offsites, you know, utilities, um, that sort of stuff, which has kind of propelled me into where I am now. So your job was to look for a house to knock down, basically. Yeah. Look for a house or a property to knock down and then do the negotiation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you would just—I mean—you would literally get leads by sending somebody a letter saying, "Hey, do you want to send sell your house?" Um, now, yeah. now it's a text message or a phone call. Um, nope. Mine was handwritten notes. You know that typically uh, felt somewhere along the lines of like, "Hey, Mr. Sean Garvey, this is Paul Nicoletti. I'm with so and so real estate brokerage. I have a buyer who's specifically looking for a property in your neighborhood. If you've ever thought of selling." we would love the opportunity to come talk to you. We don't charge commissions. We will pay for closing costs, that kind of stuff, you know, and whatever the percentage of response was that we would usually go in. And once I had a response, my close rate was probably close to hundred percent. Once we yeah. had somebody call us or write me back or whatever. I mean, it sounds tedious. Um, yeah. You must've really hated your old job to, to get into something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there was, there was multiple reasons for getting into the job, but like, I did. I, I, I appreciate the grind. Like I used to stay up and, and hunt the MLS, you know, before a lot of the wholesale stuff started happening. I used to hunt MLS, you know, I'd get up at one in the morning to re-up my water bottle or something. And I'd be like, Hey, let's see what's hit tonight. Cause sometimes the filters just don't come through until like sometimes middle of the night for me at least. Yeah. So you're, you're, um, you're hitting the streets and, Pounded pavements pretty aggressively. You're you're achieving a lot of success. Um, what happened where you decided to make more of a transition, or what happens after that? Um, so we had a bunch of great properties, and we ended up starting. So this is where I met a lot of the builder contacts that I have these days. Um, mm-hmm. um, I didn't know everybody, but I made really good friends with Arash at Two Hawks, mm-hmm. um, the guys at Rafter House, Brimley, um, SRJ. Um, obviously Nathan with rebuild the block, but we, we would lock up a lot of properties. We would get stuff going. And then sometimes, you know, how it works. A builder would be like, you know what? I don't want to finish out this project or the numbers don't match, or I want to move my money to a different project. So we would sell a bunch of these projects off. And that's where I met a bunch of those, those other guys. Right. Um, but after that, it was kind of like pricing. I mean, as we've seen recently, pricing got kind of out of control for land. Sure. Um, and specifically the Arcadia area. So the buying kind of slowed down. Got it. And at that time, I had banked up sort of enough money to start trying to focus more on traditional real estate. And I had quite a few friends that were in the lending world that started sending me like leads. They'd be like, hey, I got a buddy who's qualified for a house. Do you want to help him look? And that's kind of where I just made that tradition or that 
transition, transition into more tr- traditional real estate. Got it. So you could feel the velocity in 17, 18 changing with the desire to, to, for people to move or build in Arcadia. Um, yeah. Well, it, that my opinion only is there was a, there was like a pause after 16, 17, where there was like almost a pause in the buying of lots, but that's my opinion only. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention to it. Cause I kind sure. of moved on, moved in a different direction, but there was kind of a pause. So I was like, I better shift to go over to doing this more traditional real estate. And that was when I went from that brokerage that I was at over to Coldwell Banker. Okay. So I was with Coldwell Banker for three years, I think 18, maybe 19, 20, 21, I think is what it was. Yeah. Cause then okay. that's when I switched over to Retsy. And you could feel uh, that your focus changed. It sounds like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people yep. are, are asking to give you opportunities. Um, through other connections that you had made because they know they'll, that you'll take care, good care of their clients. Yep. Um, and, and so here's a lead, Paul. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to pound pavements and knock on doors or do you want to um, you know, open doors and show houses? Sounds like yeah. that was the immediate transition. It was, it was. Um, so then, you know, once you have, once you, once those leads dry up, do they keep coming or uh, did you really have to kind of restructure? I mean, you're focusing, you have your initial leads. Are they still feeding you with these leads or do you have to develop your own at that point? I've had to develop my own. Um, and I, I have no magic wand on how that happened. And I, you know, I don't want to say I've been lucky, um, but I used to hold open as many open houses as I could. Yeah. Like I, that, that I, so another thing, I hate open houses, but I'm really good at them. I like meeting people. Sure. I like talking to people. Um, I feel like open houses are one of the best ways to, and I know a lot of agents hate this, but meet the neighbors, but you get to find out about like submarkets, that specific area, what's important to those people, what they think of the house. You know, there's a lot of stuff that you can figure out by holding an open house, even if you don't get a lead, even though we know that's the objective. Right. Um, but I used to really take my open houses seriously. Like I used to be able to hold open houses for some of the big agents at Coldwell Banker because I have established a rapport of being like, I'm all in on your open house. Let me take me to your house that you have listed and walk me through the house for 30 minutes. Tell me why this house is awesome. Um, tell me the benefits of this house. Tell me what I should tell a potential buyer. So like that earned me some some rapport with agents that I would take serious their open houses and their listings. And I would not just be a guy sitting there holding the door open, hoping somebody came in and bought the house for me, that I would represent them well. And one of the biggest, yeah, one of the biggest catalysts for this um, was Justin Shea. I think he's with Launch right now. And um, Wendy Walker and Amanda Malcolm with the agency now, like they, they, and Paige Heavey, I think she's with EXP, but they used to let me sit there open houses, like high end open houses all the time. Cause I just built a rapport with them that I was going to be a, a legit open house agent for them. So, so they've just taken any, um, and I, I just want to reiterate that because I've never really heard of an agent, especially somebody who's kind of dipping their toes into the market and then working his way into the luxury market. Um, Cause most, most agents or most path is to start and build a base of business and then desire to get up into the luxury market or happenstance mm-hmm. in the luxury market. But mm-hmm. you sold yourself to the people who had the luxury market mm-hmm. for an opportunity to sit in their houses and they trusted you. Yep. For that. I think that's and, worth repeating. Yeah. And I did that with Nathan, which 
you know what where, where we sit with Nathan now. So, yeah. you know, I begged and begged and begged him for years. And I, I always jokingly say that like Nathan and I dated for like a year yeah. before we even pulled the trigger on, on, on our, on our team, we call it like, right. but you know, wow. like I begged him to sit his open houses when he had two builds in Arcadia. And then I begged him to put me on the listings, like as a co-listing agent, didn't have to pay me. I'll hit salt. I'll hit all the open houses. I'll do all the stuff. Just give me the credit. I'll do it. And then I sort of weaseled my way in, I guess. <laughs> it, I don't think it's weaseling. I think you're downplaying. I mean, you said you had, you had no magic wand, but I mean, the foundation for your no magic wand is the, mm -hmm. is the grind that you did while you were trying to buy houses. And, and you just applied that to the next chapter of your business. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really impressive. Well, thank you. Well, yeah. Uh, I don't mean to set inflate your ego. I just, I, I just, I just think it's sometimes. Sometimes when you say that, sometimes when you say it out loud, it sounds different than what you, how you think it sounds. Well, you um, and we do this a lot too. You know, like in our business, I'll say that that we don't do a lot of marketing because we don't spend a lot on marketing. But mm -hmm. everything we've done from the from the first touch point to the end is a is a marketing experience or creation of experience that that has just kind of added up over time. And so mm -hmm. the same thing applies to you where it's it's kind of ho-hum and it was natural, but you just applied a different aggressive nature into um, being where you wanted to be. Mm -hmm. um, so you just stepped to the plate and swung away. Yeah, to use, my, to yes. use your baseball reference. Right. <laughs> um, as you, as you've gone, what are some uh, or as you've started to build your residential real estate business and then your connections, what are some helpful resources that you've used to, to kind of help advance your knowledge um, and advance your um, marketing techniques? So I suck at marketing. Um, yeah. That's one of the things that, that's one of the things that Nathan and I, I, I don't say he struggles with. It's more of one of the things I struggle with is sure. I'm just not, a, I'm not a marketing person. Um, I don't do a lot of heavy. I mean, as you know, I don't do a lot of heavy marketing on, any social media. Um, we've just now established, I think Nathan and I have been in business for three years together, give or take. We've just now established a separate bank account that has marketing money in it where we're doing um, not just mailers. I didn't want to say mailers, but like we hired a, uh, a full-time videographer, um, the same one that Brad uses with AFT. So we're using his guy. So we have him full-time uh, we do magazines, obviously ones we pay for. We do the Arcadia News, um, a mailer, like all this, like an email blast. So like we've just started doing all this stuff. Um, so I'm no marketing genius. I have no, I have, I have no awesome insight into that. Um, but in terms of going back to your question about how resources, resources, it's other agents. And I feel like there's a big differentiator um, between the good agents and the, and the ones that are okay is, and I, and I realized it lately too, is agents that make phone calls to other agents that actually pick up the phone and talk, right. um, ask about the market, ask what you think about, don't just be okay with how you feel about the market. Like um, Nathan and I always kind of, you know, have this internal conversation going that we have to be optimists because we have spec builds coming. We have over $20 million in spec homes in the next year and a half coming to market. So if we weren't optimistic on the market in the next two years, what, what are we doing with our business? So 
I think a good portion of what we do for resources is calling other agents, talking to them, going right. into the office, not just sitting at home, checking email and then going about your day, but actually going into the office. And I think one of the biggest benefits to our business recently has been our move to Retsi yeah. and uh, the availability of what I call heavy hitter agents on a daily basis. Like, you know, I walk into the office and Kirk Linehan is there, you know, Chris Morrison is there and his team, um, uh, Babby and Angela are there, um, the team, you know, Shauna Warner, Rebecca Clayton, you know, they're all, they're all there at the office. You know, Alex Smith just moved over from North and Co and he's there. He's awesome. Like there's just a bunch of really good people that you want to surround yourself with and talk to on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, you definitely have, um, the, a lot of the successful agents that I've seen um, that remain successful and it's not a flash in the pan is they do have a tendency to go into the office and, and require that structure because um, your day could get pulled in a million different directions. Oh, and for sure. You shouldn't be in the office all day, but it, it certainly is a networking thing and, and you have groups within or subgroups within groups. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, the Crumford report will come out, but that doesn't necessarily apply to PV and Arcadia. And so you need to talk to those people, pick up the mm -hmm. phone and have those conversations, see what's really happening. Um, yeah. and, I did want to circle and, uh, back real quick go ahead. Um, to your marketing pitch. And it sounds like you've developed it, but um, what you've done in the short amount of time without any marketing is still, um, is still proof in the pudding. And you guys put out a good product, create a good experience. That's mm -hmm. marketing too. Marketing doesn't necessarily have to be in, in spec expensive um it's, i kept trying to say inspection but and then expensive there's a nice little plug there yeah <laughs> um if you have a good product that you're providing um because mm -hmm. it's you know the experience kind of speaks for itself and all the photos that's in my opinion that's advertising um so i would mm -hmm. again say you suck at marketing because you guys have been able to move well, product and to go back to um a little bit of tidbit place this information where you will, but, um, yeah. I don't track my numbers. I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I feel like if I track my numbers, sometimes I'll be disappointed. Sometimes I might get complacent. Sometimes I might just be like, Oh, I hit my numbers for this quarter. I'll kind of take it easy. So I, that's my reasoning. But, um, like you were saying, the marketing stuff, I guess we could go back. So a lot of the business that Nathan and I had through 2021 yeah. was open house clients from 2020, okay. like a majority. And um, I had one of those, I don't want to say coming to Jesus moments, but like a couple, like it was a month ago, I was like, my Instagram sucks. I don't get pull any business from Instagram. And I was talking with our TC about this because she tracks all my numbers. And she goes, she goes, Paul, she goes, shut up. She goes, you pulled $100,000 in GCI from Instagram clients. Yeah. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she goes, each one of these transactions and she laid them out. She goes, those were Instagram polls. And um, oddly enough, like I had quite a few clients that came off of the Raptor run stuff, sure. not necessarily associated with the Raptor stuff, but like I had a guy out of California hit me up and he was like, Hey, we're thinking about moving to Scottsdale. He goes, let's go off roading and talk real estate and let's, let's work together. Yeah. You know, and that, so, you know, it's, Sometimes you just have to realize where the business is coming from, even though I, I didn't, so I'm terrible at that, but um, not be so hard on yourself too sometimes. Yeah, 
Um, and I would, I would encourage you, I, I understand the point of complacency when, I mean, it's easy. You have a lot coming in to, mm -hmm. to maybe took your foot off the gas a little bit. Um, but you know, there's always, um, whatever gets measured or whatever gets tracked can get measured. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you can measure it, then you can improve it exponentially. Um, mm -hmm. and that way, you know, where it's coming from and then you can apply those resources to that too. Yep. Um, I agree. Nathan's uh, been the biggest help in that, in terms of getting me, he's Nathan's way more structured. We're like yin and yang, uh, essentially. Like I'm the more, um, uh, I don't want to say free floating, but I'm the more like out there kind of just do things as they go. Um, they're a real people. Like I like talking to people, meeting people, learning about people, like knowing how they, what makes them tick. And I'm not saying Nathan's not like that, but he's more structured, like has a lot of uh, things in place to keep him in line. Yeah. You're, do you follow disc assessments? You're a high I and he's a dot your I's and cross your T's and SNSC. Yeah, he um, has them. He has them all in his office on a board <laughs> with little color coded things that put everybody in his corporate, because he owns the bit, rebuild the block. So he has employees, right. but he puts all of them there. And then of course I'm on there too. <laughs> so you're like the upper right hand corner of the eye <laughs> yeah. Yeah. exactly exactly that's pretty so. impressive um we we use that quite a bit um we actually try when we speak to clients we try and make a quick you know three to five clients uh, potential buyers uh, we try to make mm -hmm. a quick three to five minute assessment of the personality of the buyer so that we can prepare the inspector before the inspection <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's too smart man that's good that's actually really good you know, it's um, it's it's every little cue that we're looking for, so that we can we can best um, angle the presentation. Because if if I had a dot your eyes, cross your t's um, conversation about a house with you, mm -hmm. you don't particularly care about that. Um, and so Correct. we're trying to, to tailor it. You know, you get a high level CEO type who just wants the, mm -hmm. you know, how's the roof? How's the uh, ACs? How's the pool looking? Yeah, uh, how's the mechanical looking? stuff? Well, then yeah. they're not going to care if I talk about the crack in the countertop. Um, not to mention it, but that's kind of how we use it. It sounds like that's how Nathan's using it, and and well, that's mm -hmm. how you're using mm -hmm. it too. Yep, I'm a I'm a victim of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, this is we. I sent over a, an email before. This is one that I haven't asked. Um, so mm -hmm. you'll be the first one to ask that. But I kind of liked your response. But uh, what's the biggest misconception that people have about your field of expertise? Oh, I forgot what I even wrote. Um, if I have to go back, I would say that everybody's an expert um, as soon as they get their real estate license. And I, I I don't mean to pick on the people that just get their license and are experts because there are some, right. but uh, we all know uh, like real estate and lending, it's a, it's a low barrier of entry. Um, you take your, your classes, you get your license, you take a test, you get your license. Um, I think there's a lot that goes into being a neighborhood specialist. Um, I don't even brand myself as a neighborhood specialist, even though I know above average, um, more information about Arcadia and the surrounding areas than most people to do that live in Arcadia. Um, in my neighborhood where I live, I live just outside of PV. So Tatum and Shea, I know a lot about those neighborhoods and I've seen agents come in and I, I get it. They come in and they do their listing, but I've found so many faulty tidbits of information or boxes checked or whatever, the, the MLS data, that's just wrong. Um, sometimes schools, and that can have a big, big impact on why a family might move somewhere. So, you know, and it, it, 
it goes much more into just knowing what the house down the street sold for. Right. Um, in my opinion, a neighborhood specialist or an expert would be a person that has intercommunications with the neighborhood, knows what's going on, knows what's being built, um, knows school zone changes, but also is the one that's been to an open house or seen a home, even though they don't have a client for it. Because you never know when you might have a client call you and say, hey, like just, just the other day, we had a client from Montana call us and um, she's bought two houses with us so far. Wow. She's looking, she's looking to buy a third and sell one of them here. Um, she wants to buy an Arcadia, sell in Central. And she hit me up out of nowhere and she was like, hey, this house over here at 42nd Street in Glen Rosa. She goes, I love it what do you think about it? And my response to her was, Karen, this house, you would hate it. And hmm. she's like, well, what do you mean? And I go, well, it's cute. I go, the house is cute. It has a pool. It has the bedroom count you like. It has a garage. Location is great. I go, but I know how you like to entertain. And I know you like big, great open spaces. And I said, the living space, kitchen and dining are small and cramped. And I go, you would hate it. I go, you could hand somebody a beer from the kitchen to the couch. And she was like, are you serious? And I go, yeah. She goes, how do you know that? And I go, because I walked it last week. Right. And she was like, oh my God, that's awesome. Thank you. And then that was the end of that conversation. And now we've moved on to other potential homes. But I think being a neighborhood specialist also includes knowing your inventory. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that Not, I mean, you just dropped some knowledge. You know your client. You learn mm -hmm. what they like to do, um, what's important to them. and. Uh, and yeah. how the house would best serve their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes a long way when you can show a client that you know that you're not just there to, oh yeah, sure, I'll go look at that house when I get time this week. When you can be like, hey, I know that you've been looking in this area. I saw this house last week at a broker open. It's not for you. Yeah. So um, now you've applied, and, and I understand why people would brand themselves as a neighborhood expert. Um, you know, they live in the neighborhood, that's fine. And they're looking for a competitive mm -hmm. advantage. Um, but what happens if you're not a neighborhood expert and somebody wants to, you know, like you've mentioned PV, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Tatum and Shea area, certainly mm -hmm. Arcadia, where you've made a lot of acquisitions and, and uh, been part of a lot of building houses. But let's say your client wants to take you, you know, wants to go look at houses in Tempe, then, then what a knowledge do you apply? <laughs> so uh, I've lived all over Phoenix. Sure. And I know a lot of the area. Like I can go pretty much anywhere and feel overly comfortable with knowing what the hell's going on in that area. Um, I've lived in North Phoenix, Northwest Phoenix. I've lived in Scottsdale, both North and South. I've lived in Tempe. Um, I, you know, I, I, it's on, sometimes I don't know how I know so much, but I know a, a lot about, I'm going to say this right, but like macro areas and, and macro area, like I know a lot about specific areas in town. Um, right. I, it's, I'm not a good restaurant person, so I don't go out to eat a bunch. So I don't know a bunch of good restaurants. So I'm not going to be the one pointing out, but I do know like schools, what's near places. Um, I'm really good at uh, reading clients to kind of know too what's important to them. Um, so, you know, I could take a client. We just had another another different client fly in from Montana, and she's looking in. Um, her husband just got transferred to. I keep wanting to say John C. Lincoln, but I think it's um, Honor Health Deer Valley now. I think is what it's called. 
So he has to be, he has to be within 30 minutes of that hospital. So, you know, they're not going to be in Arcadia. They're not going to be, um, you know, in some of the areas that we focus on mainly. So we're looking at mostly like Norterra, um, North Scottsdale, kind of the Peoria. We've, we've ruled out Peoria, but I have family that live everywhere. So I know a lot of stuff that's going on in the, in the Valley. I know freeway access. I know what, you know, if your kid's into sports. Hey, man, there's a big five and a Dick Sporting Goods over here. You guys should go check it out. You guys talking about pizza? You guys should go to Mellow Mushroom Pizza up here. It's awesome. Get, sure. get the run of the Valley. Go out here and get the feel for it. That makes sense. So I think it, it to me, it sounds like um, it's really asking those leading questions, high levels of service um, and finding out what's, what's important, what's important to them. And then you, you kind of, you can discover with them where they need to be. Yep. And you yeah, can call and actually John listening to them too. Um, that was my, one of my college jobs. I used to valet cars at John C. Lincoln hospital Did you? <laughs> before <laughs> it became awesome. what it was <laughs> before you, before you were going to start making beer. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was pipe dream when I was in white. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. So no, I, I appreciate that, that you, I mean, is there a certain level of questions that you ask or is it just come up in the conversation, you retain what's important to them and then you apply it as you, you're kind of searching. So another, that goes back to, I don't take notes. Um, Nathan always takes notes and he's always like, what did you take notes on? And I'm like, I didn't take notes on anything. <laughs> um, I kind of just, I'm not going to say I retain all information. Anybody that ever talks to me know that sometimes I forget some important information, regardless of what that's about. But I tend to retain a lot of the stuff that, that the client tells me or potential client tells me of what's important. Um, I have this uncanny knack of remembering what some people might call just side information, but bringing it up at a later time. And, and that always earns you dividends. Sure. When when you can text a client that you just saw two weeks ago and they mentioned that their kid's having a birthday party next week and you can be like, hey, happy birthday to little Johnny. Uh, I hope he has an awesome time at the KTR Jump Park. Tell him I said happy birthday. You know, and it's just sometimes those random one-off things that you can remember that that will earn you dividends, like I said, in, in the long run. I would never be able to remember that, that level of detail. Yeah. That's impressive. <laughs> it's sometimes, sometimes, not all the time. Um. Well, it's interesting that you, you've mentioned kind of the difference in your structure, but it sounds like um, there's an application because one of the questions we have is, is, did you have a mentor when starting? But it almost seems like the balance between you and, and Nathan is a little bit of a mentorship in both directions. Oh, I agree. 100%. Yeah, I agree. Um, I wouldn't be able to pinpoint the exact, but like I've, I remember specific times, like we all have good days and bad days. Um, regardless of what the bad day might entail. Right. Um, sometimes, you know, it could be something personal that bleeds into work. Sometimes it could be work that bleeds into personal, but I've, I've actually witnessed and sort of seen from the outside how we've, I'd, I'd come in and just be like, dude, we're rolling goose eggs right now. What, what are we doing? Like we have no, we have a bunch of stuff in the pipeline, but we have nothing under contract. You know, and it'll just be one of those times. And then Nathan will kind of like give me a little pet talk. And then, you know, um, one time specifically, and Nathan might kill me for talking about this, but was like his, he was having, he was having a crisis of, we don't do anything different marketing wise than any other home builder does. And I'm not saying I came to the rescue, but I was like, dude, you're doing shit that we're starting to do stuff that no other builder's doing. Um, at least that I'm aware of. Like right now, 
we just acquired two properties, um, one just by LGO and Arcadia and the other one kind of like in that little triangle of Hopi of the small lots and Jeffrey Lay Estates. Yep. So it's like just north of Chick-fil-A, east of 44th. Um, so we're going to be building, and I'm sure everybody's seen them on, on his Instagram, but my Instagram is two, two stories. So they're in def- different areas, but we're going to build them to like really high quality Airbnbs, uh-huh. but we're going to offer them as a potential model home, weekend getaway, weekend trip for a family who's interested in building custom with Nathan. So like, let's say Sean is like, Hey man, I'm really interested in the homes you built. I really like to see a finished product. And right now, you know, I I don't want to say it's hard to get a potential client into a past client's personal home to walk it. Cause if you build the right rapport, you can, you can say, Hey, Mark, I want to come in. I have a potential client that wants to build custom and they want to see our fit and finish. Well, now we're just going to be able to say, Hey, here's the keys, take your family, enjoy the house for a week or a weekend, and then let me know how you feel afterwards. That's pretty So creative. we feel like that. I mean, I don't know anybody else doing it, but I think we're going to be like one of the first in Arcadia to be building essentially a model home for potential custom builder, custom build opportunities. But even, even model homes, I mean, they have, you know, uh, at least in the, in the really large um, uh, manufacturers that I've seen, like they'll, you'll walk in and they'll have, this is what we can do on this wall. This is what we can do on that wall. And, mm. and it really doesn't fit, but it sounds like you're putting together a finished product and Hey, sleep in the bed and, and uh, yep. see if you really like what we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's pretty, you know, and, pretty amazing. Yeah. And we're, you know, and Nathan's pushing some of the boundaries with design. So it's, it's pretty nice. Some of the things that he's bringing up to the table lately, like our Scandin- Sonoran Scandies, as he's calling them, or desert Scandinavians. Um, what are the next two? I think the next two that we have, um, they're calling them coastal modern. So like mm-hmm. a lot of stuff you would see on either one of the coasts, like on the beach. So more modern, lots of glass, um, overviews, like balconies, decks and stuff like that. Lots of glass. I think I already said that, but lots of glass, lots of glass. <laughs> well, lots that's of glass. certainly in, is that, is that an attempt? I mean, a lot of people are moving here, but to catch familiarity with, with people that are coming from different regions into the Phoenix market, or is that, are you just trying to push the edge a little bit? I think, so I don't want to, I have zero input on the design schedule of what Nathan, um, Emily, and and now we're using design. I think it's a design tank. Um, I have zero input. Obviously, Nathan will come to me sometimes and say, hey, what are you seeing in terms of floor plan usage that people want? Um, Not so much aesthetically, but I think Nathan's just pushing the limits to see. I mean, he loves design. I mean, he geeks out on it. He'll be up until three or four in the morning, like, picking new designs or moving a floor plan a foot, like just to perfect his homes. Um, Not to be a plug for Nathan, but I think that's one of the great things about his builds is he really narrows down livability of a house. He doesn't just make rooms to make rooms. He says, hey, how is this going to live? And I think that's another thing about being a neighborhood expert or being a a real estate expert is knowing how a home should live to potential clients for a house that you're building or selling in an area. And then trying to project who your potential clients are going to be or know them. Too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting. Um, <laughs> for sure. Am I just rattling off and talking about random shit now? No, I mean, it's all, okay. it's all uh, meant to be, 
uh, with insight and, and random. There's no structure what we're doing here. Okay. Um, but I think it's, <laughs> I think it's all to kind of create attention and, and kind of better understanding what's going on in the, the real estate market. So keep talking. Uh, <laughs> um, but I did say, uh, we talked about mentors a little bit and we kind of through this discussion discovered one. Um, did you have mm -hmm. any other mentors as you're kind of developing your businesses? I don't know if essentially mentors, but people that I would like be like, oh man, I aspire to be like that guy. Yeah. Um, and I know like when, when Nathan and I first met, he was like, what kind of real estate agent do you want to be? And I remember, you know, he'll tell you. And I remember my first answer was, I don't want to be the agent that's on every billboard. Not that that's bad. Um, I don't want to be the one that's in every magazine. I don't want to be the one that's like Mr. All over social media. I don't, I don't want to do that. I kind of want to be just the guy that's, that does his business, gets his business done, likes his clients, his clients like him, and just does good by people. And that was kind of where we're at now. Um, what's funny that you ask and somebody that has become more of a, he doesn't know it, but somebody that I, I look up to and mentor and kind of want to be like, and I'm sure you know who I'm going to say is Hank Grease. Yeah. Um, he's just seems like a pretty rad dude. Uh, he knows a lot about his business. Um, he's good at what he does. He's well known in the industry. Um, and he's often valued as somebody who's, who knows what's going going that on like he knows what what's happening huh so, uh i didn't expect you to say that but i appreciate that you said it Fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's a, he's a good guy and i, he know, is, I always yeah. enjoy i always enjoy talking with him seeing him at home tours um and he's got a lot of knowledge he's he's been around yeah for sure um that's interesting so you see at home tours and network um what is what tell me what the purpose of a home tour is um, uh, for those that don't know, and where do you find value spending time walking around looking at homes? So I, I differ in a lot of other agents. Like there's a lot of big agents that I think are great agents who just don't have time for tours. That's what they sure. say. I don't have time for the home tour. Cool. Like if that's your business model or your approach, that's awesome. And it's working for you. For me, um, I think it's the networking, um, and talking with other agents that are that work in the areas that I work. Um, um, I like meeting people, going to their broker opens, showing interest in their, um, I don't want to say inventory, but showing interest in their business will be reciprocated towards to you. Hmm. Um, you know, I, we've, we've been lucky to deal with one agent in particular that, that is, uh, uh, he's, he's an all right. He does okay business, Tucker Blaylock. I don't know if you've yeah. heard of him. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tucker's Tucker's a great guy and he runs an awesome brokerage. He's intelligent. He's well researched. Um, you know, Tucker and I are kind of opposites in a lot of the ways, but like him and I do a lot of business together because he knows that I know the areas. He knows that I bring good clients, I bring good buyers, I have good sellers. So it's it's going to these and talking to these people and having conversations on a daily basis or whatever it is, a weekly basis to to build a rapport and say, Hey, this is, I'm not just going to send you an, a contract and then text you that I sent you a contract. This is hi, I'm Paul. We've talked a bunch of times. Sure. Here's an offer that I'm going to be sending you. How are the kids? How are the family? Um, is our, are our renters in the house next to your house still behaving themselves? Like it's having these conversations that get the deals done these days. 
So it's uh, it's just creating your own competitive advantage, right? Like for your clients, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, n- knowing the people so that when when they have a listing that you're interested in. Yeah. Um, or when Nathan gets back on the horse to acquiring properties to, yeah. you know, I can, I can call agents that I know that hold lots and be like, Hey, uh, Alex, it's Paul. What do you have that I can buy? Yeah. Interesting. You know? So that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Um, well, speaking of, of that, and I think today is a kind of an important day too, but, uh, you mentioned that you have to be an optimist. You have a lot coming down the pipeline and, and all the conversation right now is about increased interest rates. Um, how are you helping your clients win in this kind of um, strange market? So this is an internal struggle that I have more recently uh, being with the current market conditions. You know, uh, Since I've been in real estate, it's essentially been quote unquote, a seller's market since I've gotten into real estate. Um, I consider it a highly, a high buyer's market right now, regardless of what all the numbers would tell you personally, as there's, when I got into real estate, there was, I think 16,000 active listings in the MLS. So now there's what, 21, 22, I think. So to me, if 16,000 was a balanced market, regardless of buyer demand at that time, because we all know it was still strong. Right. Now we're seeing an exponential amount of inventory. So to me, we're in a buyer's market. But going back to the struggle is you need to find out what the true driver of your client's house sale or house purchase is. So like if you have a buyer that's just kind of out on the wings and doesn't need to buy anything and they're just kind of like testing the waters and trying to see, right now wouldn't be a good time to be pushing your clients to get into a contract. Right. I don't think. Um, again, this is my opinion, everybody, but if somebody, you know, a lot of what we're talking about with buyers and sellers these days are people that need to buy and need to sell. So you need to figure out what the drivers are for that. And then make sure that you're offering a service down to the home inspector, like your, your references or your referrals that everybody's on the same page to deliver a winning transaction for your client in terms of being a fruitful one being that they're happy through the process, then I think that's a win to me. Right. So, you know, that's, that's how I win for clients nowadays is making sure that the experience is um, not just above average, but like exceptional through all the, right. through all the periods and make sure that you're over communicating everything these days. Cause everybody's, everybody's hyper aware of the market. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we all know that a lot of the, the stuff that's, hitting the news or hitting, you know, the clickbait is stuff that's nationally wrecking. It's not subject to the specific market. Um, so a lot of people are reading news that's, that's broadcast for a national housing market, which sometimes is different than what you might see for the local market. Oh, for sure. I mean, what's, what's happening in Iowa isn't necessarily happening here or yep. vice versa. Um, I appreciate your honesty in that. I mean, I, I know it's not easy right now, um, to have those harder conversations, but I think it's important to have those harder conversations. Yeah, and um, I think it's I think when you when you sit back and you think to yourself, do I or don't I want to call this client or potential client about something? That's your beckoning call to have the fucking phone call. Yeah. Is to, hey, this is gonna be a tough conversation, regardless of what the conversation is. 
yeah. you need to have that. You need to have that conversation, regardless if it's about a home inspection or an appraisal, because those are back now or whatever part of the transaction it is. If you're like, man, if I should if you think I could just get away with a text, you should probably call. Call. Which More I think impactful. is, it is, it is. And Texts it can't be suck. translated improperly. Um, Correct. Dude, text you, know, yeah. you send a text or an email or something like that. You look at it and you're like mad when mm-hmm. you didn't mean to be mad in it. You just meant to say happy birthday. Yeah, I'm the king of that. I'm the king <laughs> of being mis- misunderstood through text. <laughs> Um, one thing I wanted to ask you though, and I've been kind of mulling around, you mentioned that there's, let's say there's 22,000 houses on the market. Um, mm-hmm. how many of those do you think are actually quality listings at the moment though? Like somebody not trying to catch the height of the market or they're even trailing down. Maybe if some of the prices are dropping a little bit, but uh, if you're looking for a fractional or a percentage, I don't know, but it's very few. Yeah. Um, um, I actually walked a really nice potential Airbnb today. Very, It was done really well. Um, but you can also see when you go into some other properties where um, an investor ran out of money or you walk into this great redone kitchen and then the bathrooms are still original or the backyard is like a blank slate and you're like, dude, you can't, you can't. You can't go 90% of the way and then expect somebody to give you full value when the backyard's missing. Right. Or um, you could have got away with that eight months ago. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people now too are just, and, and I say people, regardless of investors or end users, they're just sure. kind of like, oh crap, I missed the height. Let's throw it on and see what we can get. And there's a lot of people where that house would have been 100% okay eight months ago, where now it's like, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Cause there's more to look at. Right. There's more to say, Hey, I don't, I don't need to settle for, for this. I can, I can move on and go to this. Certainly an advantage in the, if you're playing in the buyer's market at the moment is, is kind of knowing that you have options. Yes. Um, and I think where... that's, that's a great part for buyers right now is you're, there's no, you don't have houses aren't selling in 30, 60, 90 minutes. minutes. You know, it's taking, 30, 60, 90 days now, even for quality resales. Yeah, that's true. So, I, I mean, it's, it is, and it's, it's, it's tough, you know, over the last couple of years, sellers have been gifted. You know, I had a really good friend tell me that like about everybody who bought a house between like 2015 and 2019 essentially won the lottery in 2021 yeah. and 2022. Yeah. So, you know, you had a lot of people who were like the short term buying a house went from being a long term investment into a short term investment because they were able yeah. to turn almost 30 percent, you know, annually. Double. Yeah. Yeah. So That's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of and a lot of those happened in houses that shouldn't have gotten those sort of revenue boosts, whatever you want to call it, or appreciation boosts. And now, you know, the house that they bought for 400 that at one time they thought they could sell for 800 is really still the same hunk of crap that they bought three years ago it's worse. they haven't done any upgrades <laughs> to yeah and they still think it's worth you know eight hundred thousand. yeah yeah it's hard to come back down from those numbers mm-hmm. you know and that's i feel like a lot of people are losing I, I said it yesterday so some people might laugh but like you're there's still a ton of equity in a lot of people's houses you're just you don't you don't have the cherry on top anymore right you know or the or the sprinkles you don't have that extra but like you could still be clearing on some of these houses we're seeing 
people still being able to clear four or five, six hundred thousand dollars, you might just not be able to clear eight hundred to a million now. Right. And up until recently, the home wasn't. I mean, it was a good savings device, but it wasn't necessarily a crazy equity producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's just happened in the last. Well, it's happened yeah, before. Yeah. It happened at the uh, 08 and up. Yep. And then it happened now when, when a ton of cash got infused into the market. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Um, you mentioned something's back, which is is appraisals and home inspections. So I got to spin it into to home inspections a little bit. Let's um, do it. Let's do it. What are some things you like as uh, with home inspect uh, with home inspection? What are some things you like um, for your clients about home inspectors? Uh, it's a health check. I love it. I love that a client who's buying a house can can go in and have somebody you know, go through it and finger touch everything and be like, Hey, this is how this supposed to be, but this isn't a big deal. I wouldn't look at that as a big deal. Um, but it, it allows a client to know what they're getting into before they just blindly close on a house and agree to everything and walk away. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, and go ahead. What's the inverse to that? What is some stuff that you don't like? I don't like how some buyers from a buyer side, and right. I think I wrote this on the thing, yeah, um, I hate I hate how some buyers use it as a renegotiation tool. Huh. To me, it's not a it, it's not a renegotiation tool. Like some people will be some buyers will be upset that they didn't get the house for eight fifty, that they had to go up to eight seventy five. So now they want to nitpick the seller for everything to try and get back down to that original, you know. And I, to me, that's not how that works. To me, a home inspection should be: Are there any items that you can't deal with? Like, is there, who knows what that could be? Cause it's different for every client, but is it, right. is it a slab leak that the seller didn't know about that? Now we know about, is it a cracked right. foundation? Is it plumbing? That's askew? Is it some jackass pre-owner got up there and cut trusses so that he could store his Christmas tree up there? Like, right. you know, are those the things? And then it's supposed to be other little items that like, are like, Hey, you know, the pool equipment's kind of screwed up. Can we get a credit to replace that pool equipment? Got it. Um, one of the other things I'd harp to all my buyer clients too, is if we do get a price reduction or a concession to use that to actually what you wanted it for. Don't ask for a $10,000 reduction in purchase price because of a, a foundation crack, but then take that $10,000. And then in two years, when we try to go sell the house again, you did nothing for the Didn't slab crack. Huh. Yeah. I think that's more intentional of a perspective when, um, cause we, we certainly hear about a reduction in price as a result of mm-hmm. the, the discovery of the inspection, but, mm-hmm. um, and you, you know, it's certainly necessary in some cases. Um, yeah. but you and don't I, think I never, about what people are looking at, do they just stick money yeah. in the pocket or what are they really doing with it? Yeah. And I mean, I what was I going to say, I forgot, but like, I always go back to make sure you use, if you're going to actually ask for it, use it. Yeah. Don't just pocket the cash and move on because that problem's not going to go away. No, it's not yeah, going to get better. So, That's no, great. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Um, where can uh, where can your next buyer or seller find you, Paul? <laughs> um, <laughs> you can find me at natanpaul.com. Um, yeah. Nathan has a new uh, YouTube page that we're starting up next week. So we'll be on YouTube finally. Um, you can find us. Yeah. You can find us at rebuild the block on Instagram or, uh, PA Nicoletti on Instagram. Nice. 
Yeah. Nice. Um, mm -hmm. I want to be respectful of your time. I appreciate uh, this conversation. It's been uh, really enlightening. You're, uh, <laughs> you're a high eye, but a calculated um, strategic uh, social machine. And I can appreciate That's right. that. That's right. Sneak in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so thank you for your time. Um, reach out, of course, find man. Paul, um, yep. and we'll do this again. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for listening to just another real estate podcast for the latest episodes, please subscribe and be sure to follow dwell inspect Arizona on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. to contact dwell inspect Arizona. Call us at 480-867-4599. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, email our team at office at dwellinspectaz.com.